Welcome to another message from Life Point Church, located at 400 South Abilene in Valley Center, Kansas. For more information on Life Point Church, go to our website at lpcag.org. It is our prayer to invest in generations to influence community. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Steve Rains. So if you have your Bible, go to um, uh, Romans chapter 9. It'll be up on your screen. But we're going to walk through um, verses 6 through 18. I'm putting aside like an intro just because there's so much that we we need to dive into that I didn't want to waste time because I know some of you are like looking at your watch all afternoon because I have an appointment with with a a network, uh, what? whatever channel the game's on. Um, And I want to let you know just off the top that this is gold. But a a chief fan designed it. So I don't know what that's saying. But anyway, um, Romans chapter 6, verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Though they were not yet born and had had done nothing early, uh, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. She was told, "The younger will serve the uh, the older will serve the younger." Excuse me, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Verse fourteen. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then... He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Any of you want to preach this this morning? I mean, I know I'm looking out this morning, and some of your eyes are already glazed over. Um, There is like so much here uh, in this passage of Scripture. It's not for the faint of heart. This, This passage has been the subject of many theological conversations and inspection. This passage for many is a linchpin passage for building a theological position on what's called predestination. For others, they look at this and go, man, I don't know what this is talking about. Can we just move on? And there's maybe in their Bible, in the column, there's just a big question mark. Like, I don't know what this means. Let's just go on. How many of you have ever done that in a passage of Scripture? You're just like, I don't know. And, and you just move on, right? And so for some, that's what happens here. But here's what we know. The Word of God is living and active. Here's what we know. It cuts to the heart of issues. Here's what we know, that, that it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness, that, that the person who is a follower of Jesus would be complete and equipped for every good work. There isn't a part of Scripture that God doesn't want to use to encourage you, to speak into you, to build you up, to strengthen you and your faith. So, look at your neighbor and say, get ready, because it's going to be good. 
Some of you are like, I'm still not convinced. So this morning, we're diving into this text. We're exploring the richness of it, but also the challenge of it. And the reason why the Apostle Paul is writing these verses, we have to remember this, is because what he, he, I mean, he said some incredible things in Romans chapter 8 that we spent all the fall unpacking. Incredible promises, right? Things like what you read in verse 28 of Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 38, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many know that's good news? Right? These incredible promises. Two weeks ago, we talked about Paul's heart for the lost in Romans chapter 9, 1 through 5, as we talked about a rise to the cause. And his heart was focused on his fellow kinsmen, his Jews and fellow brothers and sisters, Jewish brothers and sisters. And as he's focused on them, he understands that they're separated from the love of God. So what Paul is attempting to do is answer the question of those chosen people, God's chosen people, the Jews. Separated, and he's wrestling with this, man, that's who they are, but there's a separation going on in their life. So he's attempting to answer the question, if you will, what about that, Paul? Paul, what about God's chosen people? They aren't experiencing God's promises. At least a lot of them aren't. Paul, you said nothing can separate us from the love of God, but they're separated. There's times and there's seasons in our lives where, where we know a promise of God, and it's just like, but God, this thing, I'm not seeing this thing work, worked out in my life. What's up with that? What do you say about that, Paul? What do you say about Paul, uh, Paul about the fact that I have friend, friends and families and neighbors or colleagues that, that they don't know you? They're separated from God. If God's promises don't seem to be effective for them, will they be effective for me? Um, can I trust the promises of God to get me across the finish line? Will I be glorified? Will, will that happen? Why should I have assurance in your faith? Why should I have confidence? Why should you have confidence in your faith this morning? Why be hope-filled about what God has in store for, for me, for, for you as a child of God? Why? Paul gives us three reasons this morning as to why you can have confidence in the promises of God. Why have confidence in, in the promise that you find throughout Romans chapter 8? I mean, why have confidence in Romans chapter 8, verse 38? Why? And here's what God's word, here's why God's word has not failed, will not fail, and has not failed. He gives us three ideas, and I want to pack these, and, and I want to do the best to steward our time wisely this morning because again the, the, this is a big chunk of passage uh, scripture that is is challenging for us but but how many know we're, we're all up for the challenge right look look at your neighbor and say you're up <laughs> verse six but it is not as though the word of god has failed for not all who are descended from israel belong to israel and not all are children of abraham because they are his offspring but through isaac shall your offspring be named 
what's going on here. Paul is setting up a division, if you will, a categorization of the Israelites. They, there are descendants, they are the descendants of the Jewish people, right? They have come from the line of Israel. But Paul says that not all are descendants in verse 6. Not all belong to Israel. In other words, some people are externally a part of Israel, right? True? They, they have the birth certificate, if you will. But internally, they're not. Externally, they are fellow countrymen, fellow countrywomen. But internally, something's missing. Because internal reality, this is, this is Paul, we're going to see this, this, he's driving this home all through this text. Eternal realities are what connect you to your spiritual heritage. We could say it this way, just because you go to church, it doesn't make you a Christian, right? We could say it this way, just because you live in Kansas does not make you a KC Chief fan. <laughs> This is what Paul is saying. They have the physical attributes, but they don't have the spiritual attributes. They have physical attributes. Uh, they physically have those attributes, but those physical attributes, that birth certificate, if you will, doesn't bring the promise. That promise comes through the internal workings of the Spirit within the lives of the individual. So descendants doesn't bring the promise, but belonging brings the promise God is first and foremost concerned about what happens inside of you God is concerned about the internal reality because we are Christians not from the outside in but from the inside out this is the point Paul is making so let me illustrate it this way if I can back uh, I think it was back in March of 23 when we just dove into uh, this series in the book of Romans. We were looking in chapter 2, and, and I used an illustration that I want to use this morning. In Romans chapter 2, Paul is talking uh, with people having, about having a relationship with God based on transformation. That is, working its way uh, uh, from the inside to the outside of the person, not from outside in or not because of external workings or not in the case of Romans 2 because of circumcision um, it, it's just working on the inside and in that message I use that applies to today as well um, as Paul deals with the idea of descendants um, I used an illustration talking about my wedding ring and so I wanted to circle around and use that again because this this ring on my finger is a symbol of of my love to Robin, our love together as we exchanged uh, rings on that day um, back in 92. Sounds like a country song. But um, it's a statement of our love, a declaration of our love, but it's not the source of our love. Right? When, when we get in an argument, I don't take off the ring and throw it on the count counter. When, when I, we need wisdom because of a decision that we're facing or, or just um, uh, a situation that is unfolding in our life, I don't step back and begin to rub my, my ring on my finger and asking it for help. If I were to, to lose this ring, my marriage wouldn't end. If Robin was to lose 
her ring, our marriage wouldn't end. We would just be going to Zales later on in the afternoon for a bigger ring. Suppose if I tried to make the ring more than it was. All hypothetical. If I began to speak ill of Robin. If I would begin to say things, you know, my mom, she, she, uh, she, um, she did everything for my dad. She, you know, did all the dishes and cooked him three meals a day. And, and, you know, she even cut his meat. And I think you ought to start doing that for me. <laughs> it would be a bad day if I ever tried that. If I started treating the family bad, speaking ill of our kids or, or being harsh with our grandson. So anyway, I did one day... Robin just has had enough. She finally breaks and said, listen, man, I can't, I can't take this anymore. Um, uh, I wasn't made to receive this. You are mean. You're mean to me. You're mean to our family. You shame me. You speak down to me. Um, you're, you don't talk to me hard, hardly ever. Do you talk to me? You, you're abusive to me verbally and, and physically and all that stuff. And, and you're, man, you are just not a good husband. You look at other women, again, this is all hypothetical, internet hypothetical. I mean, you, you're just, you're just wrong. You're not a good husband. You look at other, I mean, you do all this stuff. You don't love me as Christ loved the church. I'm leaving you. Now, if I would respond to her and say, man, how, how dare you? How dare you say that to me? I wear the ring. I have never taken the ring off since the day I said I do. I mean, I wear this ring so much, it's oval-shaped instead of circular because it's been on my finger so long. Sure, I did those things, I've said those things, but I kept the ring on. What else do you want? Do you think Robin would go, oh, silly me, I'm so, I mean, I can't believe. You're right, let me give you some sweet tea, honey, and we'll call it good. How many know she wouldn't do that? Because she doesn't want my ring, she wants my heart. Right? And so, to Paul's point about what he's talking about in Romans 2, as he's addressing the outward sign of, cir of circumcision, here in Romans 9, he's addressing the descendants. He's saying, if you have elevated this symbol of, of being a descendant, or, or the sign of, in Romans 2, circumcision, to a place that it's, it's missing your heart, because it's about your heart. This, this worship this morning that you experienced, it's not about a song, it's about your heart. The presence of God in this place, it's about our heart. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus knows the tendency of his listeners. He, he knows the tendency of you and I and how we respond to, to life and the situations of life. And, and six times in, Roman, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, man, you've heard it said. And with each of those statements, Jesus follows up with a claim to higher authority than, 
than the scribes, the religious leaders of his day. Jesus, in John chapter 1, we know this, that in the Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and it's speaking of Jesus. And Jesus responds to the religious leaders of his day. Jesus, the giver of the law, the giver of the word, is expounding on it and bringing out the full meaning. Jesus, because why? Jesus knows the tendency of the listener. He knows the tendency of us, that if we're not careful, it'll be about outward compliance, but yet there's this inward conflict going on. It's kind of like the little kid. If I could describe it this way, um, uh, maybe you experienced this one day with your, your kid when they were a toddler or you've seen it on, you, maybe it was just on TV you saw this happen, right? Where, you know, you're just like, man, you're at the restaurant and you're like, son, you need to sit down in this booth. You need to sit down and be quiet. And you get in, you know, you see that transpire and, and you're just like, sit down. And finally, Junior sits down but, you, uh, but the little kid, the little boy looks at his mom and daddy and says this, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I want you to know on the inside I'm standing up and I'm shouting loud. Right? And that's like this idea. Jesus also recognizes the need for the listener. Inward transformation. Regeneration by believing in him. So let me ask you what happens when your inward transformation is being overshadowed by what's going on, on the outside of you? What happens when the outside is not as much like Jesus as you're hoping for? Cults are constantly pressing in, whether it's subtly or overtly, to impact the way you think. And stuff starts rising up on the inside, and you start thinking along the lines, well, I have my rights. It's not hurting anybody else. I want to do what feels good to me and do that, and on and on. We can justify, and that pressing is, to, is beginning to erode the foundations of your faith and dilute your identity and constantly wanting me to listen to yourself instead of you talking to yourself about what the Word of God says. Reinforcing the Word of God the word of the Lord to me and about me. It reminds me of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. I'm excited to get there in a few weeks, but the message paraphrase puts it this way. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you could ever do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's what God wants for you. I'm excited for it this summer. Just sidebar, you know, our, our student ministry. Pastor Levi leads the, the students um, through seminary in the summer. Pastor Nathaniel leads the kids through um, a discipleship time in the summer as well. And I'm like, you know what? I want some of that. So this summer on Wednesday nights, we're going to do a summer you for the adults that is going to just be about just some good, solid discipleship stuff. And we're going to journey about that. So because we want 
God bringing the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. Romans chapter 9, verse 7, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. So Paul is building out this idea of what makes a child of God. It's internal. And he tells the story of Abraham's family from Genesis 17 and 21. And it's all about the human heart that changes the person. And so in the story, back in Genesis, um, Abraham and Sarah uh, took the situation into their own hands. Have you, ever, have you ever been guilty of that, right? That, that they, you know, they heard the promise that they were going to have a descendants, that they were going to have a kid, they're old, they're like, how's that going to happen um, with the equipment that we have? Man, it's not going to work out. And, and so they're like, how do we do this? So um, not to knock them, but they took uh, hands, their matters into their own hands. And Sarah says, hey, look, let's, um, here's Hagar, my servant. Um, why don't you uh, go spend some time with her? Long story short, Hagar gets pregnant and has Ishmael, which created a whole other issue and set of problems, which we won't talk about today. But after Ishmael is born, Okay, so they heard the promise, and they're like, okay, God, we're waiting. Uh, the plan never came to fruition, at least in their timing. And so they said, hey, let's take plans into our own hands, Ishmael, Hagar, and then uh, God shows up and says this in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but, you, but Sarah shall be her name and check this out look at all that i wills i will bless her and moreover i will give you a son by her i will bless her and she shall become nations kings of peoples shall come from her then abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old shall sarah who is 90 years old bear a child how many know abraham is thinking if this happens it ain't natural. Lord, there is no way this is going to happen. I'm 100, she's 90. I don't even know if I want it to happen. Abraham, this can't happen. And that is the exact reason why Paul uses this as an illustration for us in, in Romans 9. He is saying if this baby comes, it isn't because two people got together. It's in the truest sense a miracle baby that happened from the inside out. Hence, for someone to become a child of God, a miracle has taken place. As you look around the room this morning, and you look into the eyes of people in your row or, or across the way, and if they're a follower of Jesus, you're looking into a miracle. Every time you walk into this place and the life wall is, is lit up, you're looking at light bulbs that testify, that speak of a miracle that has occurred in somebody's life because they, they called on Jesus to, to be their Lord and Savior. It's a miracle. Anytime someone receives Christ, it, it, it isn't natural, it's supernatural. Every time uh, you see that happen, you need to pause, I need to pause and just say, man, that is amazing what just occurred and I got to see that. 
Paul is unpacking this, his first argument here, God's promises are for his people, and his people are those who have been transformed from the inside out. Why, why is Paul saying that? Because it's not about the ring. It isn't about ancestry. It isn't about showing up to church. All those things would be great. It's not about trying. Entrance into the family of God is because the transformation that has occurred within your heart. That is the core of it. Something eternal happens in your heart and, and you're changed from the inside out. The Bible describes salvation as this. Behold, the old things have passed away and all things are becoming new. That's the power and the beauty of baptism, right? That, that the person goes down into the water signifying that old person uh, being buried and coming up out of the wa water symbolizing new life in Christ. God's promises are for God's people and God's people are defined by what is going on internally. Now, leads us to the second thought this morning, and, and we're going deep today. So if you, if you hear your, your neighbor breathing a little bit deeper, just give him a holy elbow. I'm just kidding. God's promises are secured through election. Verse 10. This is fun. Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefathers Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose for, of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Pastor Levi, you want to come and take the rest of this, please? He's like, what's up with that? How can you be confident in God's promises? I mean, you and I, we, we all have situations in our life, even right now, and you look around and you're like, man, I don't see them being fulfilled, at least in the time frame that I want them fulfilled. What, what's up with that, God? God? Paul is going to build this case that they are secured by election by taking us to another story in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul tells the story of Jacob and Esau. And you're like, wait, 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 Steve, time out. What, what is up with Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated? What, what's, like, is God grumpy that day? So let's just talk about that real quick. When you look at that word hate, you have to understand within the context of the Near, near Eastern culture that, that um, surrounds the authors, surrounds this account surrounds the, the use, the terminology of the day. In Near Eastern cultures, it has more to do with one's priorities than his or her emotions, like in our culture. I mean, when we use the word hate, it's like tied with our emotions. And in this culture, it deals with priorities. For example, it says Esau despised, in, in Genesis 25, there's an account of Esau, he despised his birthright because he was hungry and he wanted some soup. And so Esau despised, it's a negative term, his birthright, when he, when he made a free will cho choice for a bowl of soup over the covenant blessing that his brother took from him. Jacob prized the covenant, Esau despised the covenant. In Genesis chapter 29, there's another example for us of, of this, this terminology. And it deals with the story of Jacob's two wives, which was a part of the culture of the day, and how he loved Rachel and hated Rachel's sister, whom he was married to as well. 
and her name was Leah. So Jacob marries these two women. They happen to be sisters. Jacob, you know, you're like, man, was the guy crazy or what? I mean, talk about tension. He w- Again, this term indicates Jacob's choice to favor one over the other. He wasn't repulsed by Leah. We, I mean, he, he had ten children with her. The New Testament example, Jesus reminds his followers to hate their money, their families, even their own lives. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Matthew chapter 6, 24, you see that happening. How I many know, obviously, Jesus wasn't instructing his disciples to treat others cruelly or despise other people, right? The issue at hand was priority. In comparison, listen, in comparison to my love for God, in comparison to your love for God, every other relationship shouldn't compare. My love for God is so over the top compared to my love in other relationships, my love for my spouse, my love for my kids, my love for my grandkids, my love for my church, my love for my, my country, whatever it may be. It, do, it shouldn't compare. And you're like, wait a minute, Steve. That, that's challenging to me. I don't know if I agree with you on that. Let me just say it this way. Lest you think that it would lessen your love for others, it actually increases your love for others. That if I love Jesus with such, with this type of intensity of love, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to love my wife better. I'm going to love my kids better. I'm going to love my, my community better. I'm going to love people that, that maybe are, 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 have a totally different perspective, totally different outlook on life. That I'm going to love them better. I'm going to love chief fans better. Romans 9.13, it's a comparative love. God is saying, I have, I have loved and chosen Jacob. I have set my affection on him. Why did God do that? Look at what Paul says next in verse 11. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who caused, she was told, the older will serve the younger. So this is like pre-birth. This is, this is way before, hey, pick up your toys and put them away. Make your bed. Go, you know, hey, Dad, I went mowed the yard for the ninth time this summer. Any, any opportunity to display and be obedient kids. Way before any of that happened, we read this text. No chance to do good works. God looks at these two brothers and said, I'm choosing Jacob. I'm going to set my affection on him. I choose to do that. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does that make God unjust? Don't answer too quick. Does it make him unjust? Does it make him unfair that God would set his affection, that God would, would raise somebody up in such a way instead of the other person? This idea of election is difficult for us to, to wrap our, our minds around, and, and, and we could go deep in some ways. And I was talking to somebody after first service about it and had some fun conversation about it, that, but we won't go there. Predestination appears on the surface to rob humans of their most precious treasure, their autonomy. We emerge from the womb and, and progress through life, viewing the universe with ourselves at the center, Right? country music singer Toby Keith who just passed away this week had that incredible song I want to talk about me I want to talk about I I want to talk about me and my, what I like what I want you know you know that song 
You've sang it. You've wrote it. You just didn't know it. The Lord is pursuing his, listen, the Lord is pursuing his own agenda. We have to remember that. And his agenda is to remove death from the throne of creation, to give creation to his son that the righteousness of God will rule all things. And he will do that whether anyone decides to join him or not, because that's his heart, to rescue the lost. I like what Chuck Swindoll said in his his book on Romans, God's plan of salvation is a mighty river of destiny into which a believer plunges. The river of righteousness will eventually flood the world, washing away the old order to make room for the new. God said, I'm choosing him. God, Steve, you saying that God chooses people? Yes. You saying God chose you? Yeah. And God wants to choose the person who is, is far away from him. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying what Paul is saying. God said, I choose that person. I place my affection on that person. I want to walk with that person. I want to work out my salvation in that person. I'm going to do something in them that they could never do in themselves. You see election playing out in, in Romans chapter 8. In verse 28, it won't take time to, to read that since we read it earlier, but in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, we read this, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before time began, he was working. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, even as he chose us and him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace with which he has blessed us, the beloved and the beloved. And you're like, wow, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around all of this. That's how much God thinks of you. So the Super Bowl question becomes this. Did I choose him or did he choose me? And the answer is both. It's a mystery. Is it our will or is it God's will? But all through the Bible, you, you see Election flows out from this place of God's free love that is available to all people. Again, let me just say this statement. There's so much to this. The Lord is pursuing his own agenda. And remember, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the will of God is to remove death from the throne of creation and give, it, and give that creation to his son so that the righteousness of God will rule all things. And he will do this whether anyone decides to join him or not because it's his heart to love and to redeem and to bring salvation to all humanity. God's promises don't fail based on your performance or lack thereof. God's promises stand on his plan and his purposes. And I just want to encourage us, because I know you didn't wake up this morning thinking about this text and thinking about this idea and this, these thoughts. I just want to encourage us to rest in that. Rest in the fact that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. God is doing something in our, in our finite mind um, that our, excuse me, God is doing something that our finite mind has a hard time processing. Does that sound unfair? This whole idea. Some would say, man, Steve, I have worked 
hard for my position before the Lord. Awesome. Others would say, but what about those that have never heard? You know what? Paul is out in front of us, and he says this in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? He says, by no means. That leads us to our last thought. God's promises are experienced because of his mercy. Scripture says this in verse 17, and I want us to let Scripture speak and be okay with it. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up. So then the question becomes, did God create Pharaoh to destroy him? Some of you are like, man, I'm so glad I came to church today. Right? Did God create Pharaoh to destroy him? No, not at all. It was about placing him in a position so that God's purposes may be accomplished. But, but I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. Paul is quoting Romans chapter, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 9. By declaring his word and revealing his power, God gave Pharaoh opportunity to repent. You, you see that as you read the Exodus 9 account. It's, at times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Other times it says God hardened his heart. The fault doesn't lie with God, but with Pharaoh. Because when, 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 when you look at it, you understand that, listen, the conduct, the decisions that Pharaoh made hardened his heart. And it caused him not to respond to what God was doing later on. You could say it this way. The same sunlight that melts the ice hardens the clay, doesn't it? God was not unrighteous in his dealings with Pharaoh because he gave him opportunity to repent, opportunity to believe. I mean, there was numerous times where Pharaoh, you know, like, oh my goodness, I repent. And then he would harden his heart again. And, and that just speaks to us. Let me just wrap this up this way this morning. Um, how can hearts become hard? Because that's really my question and my concern for, for all of us. How, how, can, how, how do we guard our heart? How do we keep a pure heart? How do we have a heart that's tender towards the things of God and, and doesn't get corrupted by the things of this world and by our own selfishness? How, how, how can we do that? What, what causes a, a hard heart? Well, I think one way a hard heart can come is God can remove this, this, the restraining power of common grace. Steve, what in the world um, is that all about? Romans chapter 1, verse 24 says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. How many know God reigns on the just and the unjust? Right? You have neighbors, you have family members that aren't believers, and you see their home, you see their, their, the vehicles they drive, you see what's in their pantry and how full their refrigerator is, and you're just like, man, God has blessed them just like he's blessed me. True? That's, that's common grace that people experience all across the globe. 
But God in his goodness and his grace pours out blessing upon people. But to Romans 1.24, there can come a point in someone's life where God will give them up to the desires and the things that they're seeking after because they don't recognize his common grace in their life. And so he'll allow those things to be turned over. Secondly, he shows his perfect righteousness through the law. Verse uh, Romans 7, 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity through commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So it's this idea, and again, not to, to get lost in the weeds, but, but, but if I'm working on an exterior righteousness, if I'm working on it's man, it's by my outward efforts that I'm going to be okay with God. Then, then I'm missing the point. Because my righteousness isn't in my effort. It's not in my hope. It's solely in Him. So worshiping would come. And lastly, He displays His mercy. You see it all the time. Jesus and the Pharisees. Right? What upset the Pharisees more than anything about Jesus? You know, oftentimes you read the accounts within the Gospels and you see Jesus hanging out with sinners, right? And he would show them mercy. Man, and that would drive the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day crazy that he would be with those people and do gracious things to them. And you know what happened to their heart, to the religious leaders of the day? Their hearts would grow harder. And it's just a warning to you, to you and I um, that, that there, there, there's things for all of us that, man, I've been praying for this, I've been praying for this, I'm not seeing it, Lord, what's going on? And then, and then God in His grace does the very thing maybe that you were praying, have been praying for in your situation. He does it in somebody else's life, right? And if you're not careful, if you don't guard your heart, if you, if you don't keep a tender heart, uh, towards towards the Lord, what can happen? You can get upset about that, can't you? How come, God, you did that for them, but you're not doing it for me? That's the heart of what was going on with the scribes and the religious leaders, partly. Their hearts were hardened and they got angry. Sometimes hearts harden because of the display of God's mercy. So where is Paul going? In Romans 15 and 16, we won't, or chapter 9, 15 and 16, we won't take time to go there because you guys have been so gracious this morning. Let, let me just try to wrap it up this way. This isn't about fair and just. It's not fair. It's not just. Because if this is about what we think is fair and what we think is just and our, under, our understanding of things, then we're in big trouble. Because we know that the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. If this is about fair and what we feel is fair and what we feel is just, then man, we are in we we are we are in trouble. Because what is fair and what is just is that 
that you and I, that the world is lost in their sin and there is no hope and there is no remedy and there is no, there is no escape. You're just lost. And the judgment is guilty. Because all of sin, all of falls, right? So if it's fair and just, man, we're, Lord, help us. But it's not. This is about mercy and compassion. Now, I, I don't know about you, but with me, <laughs> and I want it for you too, I want, I want God to be merciful and compassionate. God says, I'm a God of mercy and compassion that is reaching out to you before time ever began. Orchestrating salvation that's made available to to all of humanity from from the United States States of America to the, to the ends of the earth from the ends of the earth to the United States of America that I want people to know me and to be in relationship with me and to not just live for today but know that they have a place in eternity with me and he's saying take my hand Walk with me. Know me. And be confident in that. Father God, as we wrestle with this passage of Scripture that causes us to think and causes us to ponder and reflect, God, I thank you that you are, as the Bible says, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever that one of your names, you are the great I am. That you always were, always are, and always will be. God, we think in a linear perspective. God, you are the God of life. And Lord, so in every moment, Lord, you're there. Lord, we can talk about predestination. We can talk about Arminianism. All the we can get in the weeds of theology, but the fact is, is that you're there. You're here. And God, you give us the choice to choose who we're going to trust our life to. Are we going to trust it to ourselves, or are we going to trust you? And Lord, for anyone here today that through this time, Lord, this morning, they know that they haven't been trusting you. They've been living through their own perspective, being shaped by the world that's around them. And God, something is coming alive within them that says, here, take my hand. Walk with me. Let me show you the rhythms of my grace. Let me show you my love for you and the things that I have for you come to me. Lord, if that person is here, they're watching online today, I pray that Jesus, that they would just simply come just as they are. And Lord, that they've experienced your cleansing power and your mercy and your grace. If you're here this morning, you've never received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. 
right now as you look at your life you know that there's a chasm between you and God because the Bible tells us that sin separates us from God but Jesus has made a way to God and you're here and you're like man I I want to know God and I want to experience his forgiveness in my life never done that never asked God to do that but you're like today Steve I don't fully understand what it all means but I know it's costly because Jesus offered me salvation and he paid the price for salvation and I want to receive it would you raise your hand if you'd say Steve pray for me I want to take that step of faith I see that hand young lady anyone else Lord I pray for this one who is saying Jesus Thank you for loving me. Thank you for making a way for me to know salvation, to know your grace. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for making your word come alive to us today, Lord God. Thank you that walking through a challenging portion of Scripture God, you speak to us and it changes us. And may our confidence be deeper in you. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, I just want to encourage you. God's promises are for you. And I want to to just exhort you, speak them over your life. Declare them over your situation. Not because there's magic within them, but it's it's the Word of God, and it changes your perspective, and it gives you a different vantage point to your situation. And then lastly, if you're a follower of Christ, I just want to encourage us in this. And have confidence in God's plan and direction for your life said it earlier, it's a verse that I live by that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. There's times in my life where I don't, I don't understand the steps, the things that are unfolding before me. There's times in my life, man, I don't like those things sometimes that hit because of life. But, but through God's grace, I've learned, God, I know to the best of my ability I'm I'm living a righteous life before you. And because of that, I can walk confidently into this situation, into this season, knowing that you're ordering my steps and you're going to walk me through it and you're going to walk me out of it. Because you have a plan. And I want your plan to be fulfilled in my life. I don't want to short circuit it. I don't want to shortcut it. I want it to to, to you form in me what you want to do, God. Have your way within me. Church, you would stand this this uh, morning as we head to our final song. This concludes the teaching. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us for next Sunday's service with Pastor Steve Rains.